Hi, uh, my name is Mary Ellen Swartz. I'm an ordained Unity minister. I'm going to tell a little bit about myself before I do this first podcast, uh, which is really based on the parables of Jesus. Um, I found Unity when I was a teenager, not by being in a teenage group, but by reading Unity literature, and honestly, it changed my life. It totally changed my life. So I love the teachings of Jesus, and I particularly love the parables. And so I wanted to share one very, very popular one uh, today. And most people probably realize that more than a third of the recorded teachings of Jesus are, is comprised of parables. Uh, he taught by precept, meaning he taught by instruction or statements that contained important lessons, but perhaps the teaching most remembered by gospel writers are those of the parables. So just a little aside here, Jesus was a Jew, and the early part of his ministry tended to be centered around uh, teaching at the synagogue. But as crowds grew, he began to take his message out to the people, and so when a, a parable was given, uh, especially at the seashore, he was, we're told, out in a boat speaking and his voice carried across the water to people on the land. So it's a very uh, creative way that he had of getting the message to more people. Now Jesus didn't invent the use of parables. Parables have always been in use. Some form of storytelling, which really a parable is, has been used by humankind probably forever. I tend to think of Jesus' way of using the parable as being provocative. And, and what I mean by that is um, when something is provocative, it's something that de deliberately provokes uh, a reaction, uh, stimulates a reaction. And so it, it, uh, to me, that applies to the parables of Jesus. So a parable, as most people know, is made up of two Greek words para and balo, and para means alongside of, and balo means to throw or cast. So a parable really is a story alongside another story. And in, in a definition of, from a dictionary, it's a story designed to illustrate or teach a truth or a principle or a moral lesson. I like the uh, current uh, scholar, John Dominant Croson, and he says that a parable is a metaphorical story which tends to generate participation by hearers or readers. That it isn't about you getting into the story, but it's about you getting something out of the story. So there are many interpretations for each of Jesus' parables, and, and each is valid for some point in our journey of awakening. But my sense is it's important that we not limit ourselves to some um, understanding that we had at another point because uh, even though it worked then, if we stay with that, uh, we may not be open to new understanding. And I always like to tell myself that there's at least 144 different levels of meaning in each of Jesus' parables. So there's always more for me to mine, more to for me to discover. Charles Fillmore, the co-founder of Unity, 
said a parable is a narrative of a possible event in which a truth is illustrated, a material illustration used to prove a spiritual truth. So the parable of the sower and the seed, for example, um, is, is a very good uh, illustration of this. By the way, the parable of the sower and the seed is found in the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and also in the Gospel of Thomas. And it may be the most known of the parables because it speaks of a sower going forth to randomly scatter seeds which landed on different types of soil. And there were four different outcomes. So the original hearers of the parable would no doubt have known that sowing seeds took place either by a person walking back and forth scattering seeds or perhaps uh, animals having uh, bags of seeds with holes in them and animals walking down the rows. So in the story, um, it's, we're told that some seeds landed on the wayside or on the uh, well-trodden pathway. Some seeds landed on rocky ground, having a thin layer of soil. Some seeds landed on thorny or weedy ground. And then lastly, there were seeds that landed on good soil that brought 30, 60, and 100-fold results. As a child in Sunday school, and I went to a very traditional Christian Sunday school, I was told that the seeds and the type of soil was about accepting or not accepting Jesus as my Savior. For instance, the seed that fell on the path was about hearing the gospel, but just hearing it wouldn't get me into heaven. I had to receive it, I had to ask for forgiveness, and then I had to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. And that works for some people. For me, I began to grow into a desire for understanding how this applied in other aspects of life. Paraphrasing the Apostle Paul, when I was a child, I thought as a child, but as I mature, I put aside childish things. So for me, um, it's a reminder that as I grow and mature in spiritual understanding, which I always seek to do, then I'm going to naturally seek and find uh, more levels of meaning within this parable. And also for me, Jesus is way shower and not the, the Savior in the sense that I have to accept him or I'm lost forever. Because he himself said the kingdom is within, not low here or the low there. So the parable infers that the seeds are perfect, that it's the soil that is the variable. And so the outcome will be the quality of the soil. So I encourage you to think about it in this way. The presence and activity of God is everywhere evenly present. God is the source of all truth and love and peace and wisdom wholeness and plenty. Divine mind, as it were, is forever thinking its perfect thoughts. Said another way, the infinite is always broadcasting its message of truth. 
or said yet another way, even though there is only one love, God love, we each accept and express the seeds of this love according to how we interpret it, according to how our thoughts and beliefs accept it. And, using the example of love, more is not given to some and less to others. If someone is expressing more, for example, it isn't they, that they have been given more, uh, but it's that they're more receptive. Charles Fillmore, co-founder of Unity, likened the wayside to the external plane of consciousness where the conditions are most adverse to divine ideas. The wayside soil could be likened to our occasional use of affirmations or occasional time of meditation, an occasional time of focusing on our spiritual life. And that is not made a part of our spiritual life. And so if that's the case, it's going to drift off and be forgotten. The wayside soil is sort of like our ingrained habits of thought that are so practiced that we aren't open to a new thought or a different way of looking at something. The rocky soil is shallow and it could be likened to enthusiastic states of mind that are ruled by our emotion and they lack depth. It's sort of like one who is quickly converted in a revival and then quickly that person goes back to their old ways once it's over because they don't follow through with that new idea or that new understanding. Sometimes we may try to use truth as a band-aid or a quick fix or manifestation and even though we may get some results, they don't last because they weren't rooted in our understanding of truth. And so they may easily be blown away when the first little uh, situation comes along to challenge. The thorny ground, Mr. Fillmore likened to materialistic consciousness. In other words, focusing on the thoughts that it's only the outer facts and conditions that are real and true. And this is will choke out the most important uh, point of remembering who we are. The thorns of this world could be likened to the worldly cares, the pride that sometimes drives us to think only in terms of appearance and social standing and bigger toys, whatever that might mean. And that chokes out the truth of remembering who we are. Who we are is that we are first of all spiritual beings. We're not first of all human beings. We're having a human experience, but we are spiritual beings remembering that we are. The good soil could be likened to the reflective understanding of uh, understanding state of consciousness that will expand and produce more ideas. The good soil is the mind that's receptive to the truth, that it's a mind that is true to spiritual standards and observes to the best of its understanding the laws of God and man. 
The good ground represents the state of mind that isn't content to just hear about something, but seeks to put it into practice and see it produce the good results. Metaphysicians are those who think deeply about the great fundamental questions of life, and when the light of truth is shining in their consciousness, a rich harvest of spiritual understanding is produced. I sometimes ask myself about a parable or any such thing, will this pay the rent, or is this practical, or is this usable in my life? Is this usable in whatever my confronting moment might be? This is a practical teaching that Jesus is giving us. To me, it's a reminder of my process, the, my part in the process. In other words, if I want things to change in my life, then I must be receptive to the seed to produce that. For example, it doesn't work to just hope and wish someone will do something, or change something, or fix something, so I can feel happy, or I can feel better about myself. The seed, the answers to all my questions, have already been given. But I have to make sure that the soil of my consciousness is conducive to the growing of it. The world around us, or sometimes what we call mass consciousness, is filled with many beliefs. Beliefs about what we deserve, who has power over us, how our past stands in our way, and on and on. Remember, mass consciousness only affects us to the extent that we are unthinking and that we say yes to it. Remember, the power within us is greater than any seeming power in anyone or anything outside of us. And this parable is a reminder that we want to be the good soil and say yes to the seed of that truth. God bless you, and we will continue this in part two.